Welcome to the Truth Lover video podcast. I'm your host, Will Pye, author, speaker, transformational coach, workshop and retreat leader and founder of Love and Truth Party. You can find out more about me at willpye.com. Love and Truth Party is a self-organizing, self-replicating community and movement of love and awakening, a wisdom school facilitating health, healing and happiness. You can find us and join our mailing list at loveandtruthparty.org. We exist to empower the deep realization and integration of unit of consciousness of one human being and to inspire action in the world from this clarity as New Earth Ninjas, our playful avatar. We do so in the spirit of play, holding the paradox that all is well, even and including all collective crises, while simultaneously being moved to act to lessen suffering and serve the creation of conscious culture and society. Our projects include distributing a million love letters from the universe, inviting people to receive the love and care in these and within the happiness hacks and other free resources found on loveandtruthparty.org. We believe that in giving we receive and we invite you to pay forward the value you receive in this podcast by sharing, liking, subscribing for more great content leaving a review on iTunes and getting your love letters from the website. Follow us on social media and support us at loveandtruthparty.org. With all that said, it's a joy and a pleasure to be joined by a good friend of mine. I've known Max Ante for a couple of years now. And what to say about Max Ante? Um, we're going to talk about identity, cryptocurrency, psychedelics and revolution we said today. And we want to be transparent that Max Ante is, is not your birth name. Like this is a, an, an alter ego. It's part of your YouTube uh, channel that people can reach at, at Max Ante, capital M, capital A. Yeah, that's right. And actually, we've been friends for pretty much four years now, Will. It was um, early, early 2015. So that was when we um, first started talking to, to each other. How we, uh, I met you online and through a friend referral. And so it's been four years and, and everything you, you just discussed there, that's been um, my main area of interest all these years while I've known you. And how we came to meet was kind of interesting. I think something might be worth sharing with the viewers. And certainly for me, it's one of the sort of mystiques around Max Ante. You've probably done more meditation, put in more hours than any individual I know on the planet. You're right up there with the the lab rats that they put into uh, your Richie Davidson's uh, uh, EEGs and so on, like tens and tens of thousands of hours in Vipassana. And just prior to us meeting, you had a shift and a depth of insight that was beyond anything you'd prior experienced through meditation. Is that fair to say? Uh, yes, it is. So just my, my background was that I started doing intensive retreats with, uh, with Vipassana in the Goenka style, actually, from when I was 20, so from 92 onwards. And uh, so I'd just been, I was completely devoted to like that path of, of Buddhism, essentially, to awaken through, through samadhi. Through, and and my, my real interest wasn't just to meditate, to just um, feel more peaceful. I actually really wanted to know what the truth was. I actually was really, I was like, well, hang on. I just took it as, um, as legitimate what the Buddha had said, that you could completely awaken from all of your suffering and know the totality of the truth. I mean, that's a pretty radical thing to say. And he said that two and a half thousand years ago. And so then I was like, all right, well, maybe this is really true. And then I did these decades of, you know, 
dozens and dozens of retreats and 50 and going off to India for one or two months in silence every year and all that sort of stuff. It wasn't until I got to Mexico that, yeah, like you were saying, I had this other very you know, massive shift and it was against everything that I thought was appropriate or that I would ever do completely against. So I had to, you know, I mean, if you want to talk through that, because there was actually some books that I'd read, there were some other retreats I'd done, other conversations. It took actually years for me to move myself into a position where I would be open to exploring um, radical shifts in consciousness. I have two questions off the bat of that. So one is, did the Buddha's words deliver through that time? I know we're saying something deepened and we'll get to the details of that, but it, you, you really put that theory to the test, right? That you can use meditation and the eightfold path and certain uh, ethical behaviors and, and know the truth yourself and end your suffering and become a Buddha yourself. Ultimately, did you find that the path delivered? Uh, not in the way it was sold to me, to be honest. So, and I obviously didn't, it wasn't, I wasn't alone. I was part of very large communities and I have, I knew hundreds of people who were as devoted as me. Many had done much more meditation than me, had been doing it for much longer. So I, I was hanging out with these people who they'd just been at it since the seventies. And, uh, and then I'd even, I had met even other monks. So I was going to Burma. I, I even took robes as a monk myself. So I was, you know, really into this, you know, like, and at the same time I had a family, like I was, I had responsibilities. It was very much kind of a bit like, um, I mean, some of the stuff that maybe Herman Hesse has written about or even the, the Buddha's life, like that whole thing of like, you know, the, the householder realm and then the meditative realm. And then I had a daughter. And then so being a father and, and having staff and all that stuff, it just put a lot of pressure, but it also intensified my awareness of suffering. Like you, you can't have any more awareness of suffering than when you become a parent. That's really, it just ups the whole ante on the whole thing. Um, and so that's, uh, so in observing everybody, well, not just myself, because, you know, you can always keep being told it's going to, you're going to get there. It's going to get better. You, you, you just, you know, you just one more sit away from cracking through or whatever the angle is, or maybe it's actually going to take actually the, the, what, what's really kind of effective for these groups is when they tell you, oh, it's going to take at least 10 lifetimes, probably yes. more. <laughs> probably. And you're getting there, you know, we can see some progression, but you know, um, so you are getting to your, the point of your question. Um, Amongst all those people I met, because obviously we don't have a little gadget to sort of check on somebody. Are they really there? But I did meet one totally remarkable monk, one person, a man, one man I met who had been a monk since he was nine and he was 42 when I met him. And so it, it, it seemed to have done the trick for him. Like he, he was, but he was profoundly unusual. I'm talking about, there was a little group of us. We took, we took robes with him and became a monk with him. We were kind of shaken to our core just by being near this man. He, he, he wasn't like, I mean, I've been to listen to the Dalai Lama. I'd met Goenka himself. You know, I'd, I'd been with some of these top head honchos or whatever. And this guy was just like, he was not, he was like maybe, he, maybe the embodiment of what it would be to actually be fully enlightened and have kind of no personality. Maybe he was on his, you know, 10th or a hundredth or that thousandth life or whatever it might be. It's interesting as you describe this guy, it evokes something of what Henry David Thoreau spoke of. And he came to mind earlier on in our dialogue because you said, I wanted to know the truth. And that's like something just that I relate to. And I heard or read 
Henry David Thoreau in Walden write this line, give me truth, that's been immortalized uh, through Walden, but also in Wild at Heart, the book about uh, Christopher McCandless, this wanderer who went off into the Alaskan wilderness and sadly died. He etched, give me truth into the desk. So I think this, this, I just want to speak to that because that's an eccentric, unusual yearning that you and I share. And he, he said something that I think touches upon this character that you met. He said, I have never met a man who was fully awake. How could I look him in the face? And well, it, it sounds like this character was a little bit... Because he, he, I've never been in the presence of somebody who so profoundly kind of loved me and at the exact same time couldn't care less mm. on the most extreme level. It was so peculiar to have so much space being given without any interest. I mean, imagine like somebody giving you their attention completely, but zero interest in you at all. That's a very strange dynamic. And that's why it was so unsettling for us because we'd never encountered a human who was like that. Humans always have an agenda. They're always like seeking to connect. This man, there was no seeking to connect. <laughs> and yet he was still offering. Very strange. This speaks to me and I'm, it might be a category of difference, but it speaks to me of a, of a deep listening that can, can become possible and can be a very powerful therapeutic tool so when someone is expressing their neuroses or anxieties or fears or shame or, or, or emotional suffering to just be in the, just to just be present to that. Maybe, but he didn't even care about that. He didn't care. It really, it seemed like um, he was purely like a space. Hmm. And that's why it was, it was truly an alien experience such that one of my friends upended his whole life and had to, go and live near him, become a monk with him for six months and travel all over Burma. We were so, I mean, one of my friends couldn't even speak for the whole two weeks he was there because he was basically so confronted by being with this man. Um, he was wow. so radically unusual. Upanya Zota, if anybody wants to go and look him up, he's probably only about 55 now. Upanya Zota. He's a monk. Zota. Yeah, he's a um, different ways of spelling that. I mean, maybe they can message you and they can send through if they want to. I, I, I think I can even somehow maybe track him down because this this is an unusual person and he's only probably in his maybe he's 60 by now or something yeah maybe um so he's still pretty young but but anyway so we were jumping you were bringing up some really interesting points there because um about this yearning for truth and i'm also just going to jump to one of the phrases that the buddha said which was you know you can be right next to me and be not even touching upon what I'm speaking of. And you can be a million miles away and be so close. And so there we were potentially, and it wasn't just us, there were all these other, you know, dignitaries coming and you know, bowing down at this Upanishad dude. Everybody knew, it was, you couldn't even not know that he was done something to himself. And, and yet there we were, and it didn't rub off. And so it was like, oh, and my friend Scotty went after six months you know, going into the jungles with him, you know, you, you name it, doing the hard yakka, meditating with robes and having one meal a day. And uh, as a Westerner, I mean, as anybody, it's not tough. I'm, I was begging on the back streets of Yangon barefoot, trying to dodge the spit marks and everything on them. And, and so, you know, even putting ourselves in extreme situations like this, it, 
it didn't rub off. And, and my other friends who were there, like, like Kader, you know, who's a monk now, you know, just this continual process of trying to find the best teacher, just going for it, moving all around India, all around Thailand, all around these, many of my friends, they, they, we were all as dedicated as each other and wanting to find out what is the truth here and can we find this magical teacher, this, this guy who's going to, you know, just point the way, he'll say the right phrase. And from all my summation and experience, it's not true because we, we'd found amazing teachers and I've been watching my friends continuously do this. And to me, it looks, maybe I'm too harsh a judge, but that they're still chasing around after decades looking for this amazing teacher. And so that's why when it wasn't until I started to read the books by Jed McKenna, where he starts to do exactly what you're saying, where he starts to say the most radical things about, do you really want the truth? And to bring us back into the, the narrative, you, you found some truth or a deepening of realization upon a beach in, in Mexico. And this was a, in some ways, as I, as I perceive it, it's a continuation of your path, but in some ways it was a, a massive diversion from a path of, that would prohibit any sort of intoxicant or, and in this case, a, um, an entheogen or, or, or a psychedelic. What, how, do you have a preference from the two words? No, people call them, people call them drugs. People call them psychedelics. People call them empty. I mean, it, these are all, I mean, words are pa powerful. Words do, do matter because we have a whole lot of um, emotional triggers and relationships to words. So, you know, um, the people refer to these as hallucinogens. So I do have an issue with that word. Mm. That's in, that, that word, I think, mm, okay, really? Maybe you haven't tried this if you think this is a hallucinogen. Um, because that's when you start to question well, what is consciousness. So, I mean, we can call them um, uh, sacred medicines. It's probably the nicest sort of term. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I, I like that. And, and just briefly, you used the phrase, it matters, that words matter. And that word matter is very interesting because we live in a world where we presume matter matters, that we're living in a material world. And one of the revelations of the sacred medicine, and let's be clear, it's 5-MeO-DMT, is the realization of unitive consciousness, of the immaterial. We, we, we could say, I mean, I, many people have many different experiences. Perhaps you can share how it was for you to come well, from this. Yeah, we'll just go a little bit of a backstory because it took me... Uh, all of 2013 and all of 2014, so two years of reading Jed McKenna and basically losing everything that was dear to me. So I had to lose everything and read these books that completely freaked me out and live only out of two suitcases, roaming the world nonstop and becoming solo and just basically being willing to throw myself out there to being willing to get to that beach because that was a radical thing for anybody to do, let alone where I was coming from, actually. Right. Um, and so it was really the, the challenge of what Jed was talking of, his challenge that you couldn't have your cake and eat it too. You couldn't know the truth and have a safe life. So you were discarding identities, identity as, as good husband, as good father, as business owner, or at least modifying that. And that was part of your preparation to then this, this, this considerable initiatory 
step? Well, yeah, so um, I was in the woods in Canada in the middle of 2014 doing a 14-day retreat. I'd found this tiny Buddhist monastery with one monk and I had one meal a day stepping around the bear tracks and uh, in this little hut. And um, I didn't talk to anybody. I had those two weeks there in silence and I was reading Jed. And he says in there that it's, it's so hard to wake up that you have to pray for it and that you have to be willing to do whatever it takes, no matter the cost. And so this prayer that I want to awaken to the truth, no matter what the cost is, was a terrifying proposition because I got what it meant. I was like, oh, I'd already let go of so much. I was no longer in my home. I, I only had two bags. I had a girlfriend. So she was the last thing that was kind of my tether. She was the last thing that was keeping me like anchored. And yet when Jed said that, and I heard it and I was in the middle of the night it was, and I said, okay, let's do this then. Because I've already spent 25 years, you know, doing all this meditating Buddhist stuff. And what's the point actually, what's the point of doing all of this? If we're not really going to go, what are we actually trying to protect? Cause that's what he was really on about. Like, what are we trying to protect here? You know, you want to basically know the truth, but protect yourself, like literally, while at the same time knowing that you're going to die. So it's kind of an insane proposition that you're going to die, but you're going to try to protect yourself long enough, but maybe you want to know the truth as well. I realized that this didn't, that not all those things could be maintained at the same time. Something had to give. And I realized that, and, and when he says as well, that it's not so much the yearning for the truth that pushes you over the edge. It's that you can no longer stomach the lie. That's what really hit me. I was like, yeah, I could no longer stomach the lie. And in, even in Buddhist terms, they talk about when the monk really kind of moves, he recognizes that everything is burning, everything. So when you, when you deeply connect with that, I guess that's when you're willing to maybe do anything. I think that's the point in Zen we speak of having our head in the tiger's mouth. It's too late by this point. And, uh, it's curious to, to, to find this connection with those that have some sort of awakening, profound shifts in consciousness, that often there is a, a going all in, a willingness to die, if that's what it takes. You know, this is more important than anything else. I was having a wonderful conversation with uh, Jeannie Zandi in the previous Truth Lover, and she spoke of her prayer being, give me nothing that I want a recognition that it was that wanting self and that desiring self that was perhaps problematic. And um, so maybe that gives us a... Well, I'll, just, I'll go to your next little point, which was actually you asking me about the, the experience. And so just from that, like I had to... Um, well, when I finished that retreat, within 12 hours, my girlfriend was gone. So that was kind of this very radical pointer. Like the world was now revealing the truth. It was like, okay, buddy, you know, you're going to step up here. Are you going to step up here? Because now you've, you've made the declaration and now she's gone. There's only you in the world, only me in the world. And now I'm reading this crazy book. Okay, let's go for it. I said, let's just go, whatever this, and, and I was terrified. And so it, it took me to Manhattan, Manhattan and I lived there. And then eventually from there, all these pointers continuously, because that was Jed's main teaching was surrender to the feedback, surrender to what life is revealing to do, which took me to Mexico, and then I heard about this shaman and I was surrounded by all these people who were doing these things like 
ayahuasca, 5-MeO-DMT from the toad. And I wanted nothing to do with them. I didn't want to have anything. I was telling them to meditate. And they were telling me about this particular guy who they were all going to. And it just sounded terrifying, like very much so. And, and, I, and I did my best to not meet him for months, for three months. And, and then basically I ended up going to Tulum and I was there for five days. And then he shows up and they, they invite me. He's there for two days. So this is when I began to realize what's going on here. I'm trying to not meet you. And now you're here. And now you're inviting me to this little ceremony. It was too absurd. And, and so I recognized the, the indicators because that's what, so I'd already surrendered because that was, the, that was, Jed only has a couple of main teachings and that's, maybe that's only one, like surrender, surrender to life and what, basically hand over your trust, no matter what the cost, like, but he does also say that that's an insane proposition that he says, if you have a life, that you love and that's why I'm not recommending this to people let's be clear about that I'm not recommending that people follow this because it, and Jed makes this very clear he says if you have a life that you love why on earth would you do all this because you're going to set it on fire and and so I I'd already crossed beyond that like there was no turning back it was like yeah like you're saying like your head's in the tiger so it was like okay well, I might as well everything's gone and, and there's this mean that the world here and now maybe it really is possible to know the truth or to know deeper aspects or whatever that means. And so, yeah, it was clearly the, that that event was like a complete, I've only had like a, um, my first meditation course when I was 20 was like that. It was like a, a death and then a new life started. And, and then that experience on the beach was, was an even like a thousand times more than that because I took it, um, I was given basically a, a semi-lethal dose. I had a near-death experience. And so that was extraordinarily radical to basically die for about 38 minutes, something like that, because I went blue. I wasn't aware of all of that. And so that's why I'm not recommending this. And also just to say, like, I mean, you and I, we then went on and had our own adventures with these kind of substances, and neither of us died. And so there's the, clearly the dosages make a huge difference here. And I'm, um, and that's why I don't work with, and I won't mention that man's name because I'm not recommending anybody to go and. You don't have to literally like <laughs> try to cross over to 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 wake up. Although maybe clearly in my case, some of us maybe do. <laughs> so, well, it took a, it took a brain cancer diagnosis to really sort of facilitate uh, my path. So, however stubborn we might be, life presents what is required. I, I want to echo something that you speak to in coming to work with 5-MEO, there was much of your reason and, and identity and, and good thoughts would prevent you from working with it, right? Like, why would, why would you do that? Um, it's, it's known, of course, as the facilitator of ego death. So again, like why, I mean, that's terrifying. And in, in my experience, um, maybe I can just sort of fill the viewers, listeners in that we can perhaps come back to your experience with five if you feel called your integration afterwards led you to chatting with a friend who had just seen me present in la and he thought that maybe i might be crazy enough or, or maybe he would be able to offer some context for some of the I, I, dissolution of identity and so on that you were experiencing post that and then soon after you created this extraordinary retreat experience combining uh, 
ayahuasca, 5-MeO, self-inquiry, Vipassana, Chugung, yoga on a private beach in Mexico with ter- extraterrestrial objects or UFOs around the place. I'm like, one of the best events of my entire life, period. And similarly, in the lead up, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to go. I, I do, but I really don't. And I can't afford it. And it's just a terrible idea. And, and I got there. And still, I was like, I'm not going to do the medicine, by the way. I'm just, I'm just here for the ride. <laughs> I remember that. You said you weren't doing it. <laughs> and then I did the two smaller doses. And then I got to the third big dose. I was like, right, I'm definitely not going to do the big dose. And then the epiphany that came for me, because part of my narrative was no reason to. You know, I've done my meditation. I've worked with ayahuasca. I'm kind of over the whole entheogen thing now or the psychedelics. And then the epiphany came to me. There's maybe one reason to do it for the sheer fun of it, for the joy of it. And so that is what, that was the intention that took me into that, that, that um, big dose. And, and that intention was, was met. It was the most joyful, profound experience of, of my life. So I, I'll always be indebted to you for facilitating that extraordinary week. Yeah, well, that was, um, what a week that was. Seven days. Mm-hmm changes uh i mean you even we, we saw some of our friend, our new friends there uh you were living with one of them r- radically alter everything about who they were just mm-hmm. uh, yeah so it's not it's not it's not something to trifle with what we're talking about this is actually the if you're talking about what's the real deal and i know people won't even believe it it's hard to believe you know, that this could be the real deal um but when you're there, even as a witness, you, you go, oh, my God, just watching, just because it's like a, the impact in the space is like a, you feel the transformation. You feel the, uh, it's like, a, like something like a, a meteorite or something hits and then it's, it's that, uh, that powerful. It's like a, a tear in the fabric of time and space. I don't know how else to describe it. I, I love that. And that play, you know, we've, we've uh, entitled this dialogue a couple of the points, identity and revolution. And I do feel that that sort of shift in the psychology or in the nervous system of an individual is absolutely revolutionary, especially from an insider or a perspective of unitive being, that we are all connected through our energetic system. Uh, the research is actually very clear on this. So one individual has an awakening of the heart or drops consciousness into their heart center as opposed to their mental body, into stillness, into emptiness, into nothingness. And that reverberates around the planet. Just as the Buddha said, it's not I that awoke, but the whole of humanity that awakens. And this is one of the key principles of Love and Truth Party. When you vote in an election, your vote will be discounted most likely. You know, either Cambridge Analytica will manipulate it out of the way or um, you know, the Republicans will ensure it's not counted in the US or, or whatever it might be. But in consciousness, in our being, in our vibration, our vote, if you like, is being counted within the collective. If we are at peace, if we're in love, in the vibration of love, that is being counted in the, in the collective. And uh, there's something astonishingly profound about that well we are, <clears throat> we're always aligned to something so we shouldn't kid ourselves 
we are we, we have our allegiance and our um, tether to truth to something and people this is usually undistinguished by people they don't tend to because it's the it's the world that they swim in they just they just take oh this is the truth and this is what I'm aligned to but they're not thinking about it and so because and how can identity you identity or an organization or a belief system is that what you're you're speaking to yes yes and people usually they like to congregate in, in groups and and because we've all been conditioned by societies uh, to think in a certain way then that's what we are that's our, our personality is made up of these these truths that we refer to um, and so because we're so deeply tied to our personality there's nothing more deeply that we're tied to and it, what that really means is society itself because society essentially conditioned us with the personality and therefore that's who we relate to as we are so it's very hard to have a, um, a disconnect or a break or a breakthrough with that to have a, a radical shift in consciousness and um and, and especially something that is going to have a, a you maybe could say like a lasting impact and so because you know many people do different events workshops whatever and they they say after some time not not everybody but some people say oh you know i went back to how i was or whatever but these are all very strange concepts to think about you know, what does that even mean going back to? Um, and, and so the, the people have a view around what identity is, but just pointing to what you were saying before about, you know, people do have an allegiance and they're probably not really always aware of what it is. And in, in these remarkable experiences that we're speaking to, it's somehow there is a, a method or that it's, a, it's a, a pathway to being like ground zero. It's like, oh, okay, so this is, this is me without me. This is me without humanity. That's a radical thing to, to actually, it's going to sound pretty strange, but to, to not be human for whatever, even if it's nanoseconds, to have a, an awakened experience of remembrance of what it is to not be human and then to return to the human form, the human consciousness. I, 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 my experience was that it was a, a demarcation, like, oh, that's, that old life is gone and yeah. now I have a new, a new perspective. Yeah, and as you speak, and perhaps to give something a bit more concrete to some of what might happen with this particular entheogen, my experience, I believe it was on that third um, big session, the big dose, was of a dissolution of complete, and of course, I didn't have the experience of dissolution. I don't know that I had that, but rather I know that I was coming back. So I know that there was no one there, that it would, there would it was the void the light it's really uh, translingual utterly ineffable and then the reforming of body mind occurred through vibration coming out through my mouth that i was as aware of as an audience member at the opera would be i was listening to it enthralled like wow that's extraordinary i don't know how to chant like that and curiously there was, was a quite the show will i'll never forget I, I, we, we must maybe offer, I don't know, Chuck, because I, I haven't heard as much as I would like and I wish we'd recorded it, but this, this, this Tibetan, as I recall it, Tibetan sounding vibrational chanting coming out of my mouth, which was, as I interpreted it, that there was now a reforming me. This was the reforming. This vibration was very specifically designed to allow the identity and the body, the body-mind, to, to reform. Uh, and that I mean, of course, that is an experience that is 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 life changing, 
it delivers direct experience and insight that um, I mean I, I, I can't put words to how to how profound that is so it seems that each of us even though we didn't want to <laughs> ended up working with this extraordinary sacred medicine I really believe that's an appropriate and helpful framing and it led to the beginning of of something uh, quite similar to my experiences in meditation where there was insight into the emptiness of self into non-dual realization and it was clear that if you like now the journey was beginning now the spiritual path was actually beginning uh, in in founded on this basic insight in, in, in for, yeah for me i agree everything was like a prep all those 20 plus years that was like oh that was the prep for that moment and maybe our, some listeners, some viewers are at a similar point. Maybe this is just an entertainment piece in curiosity. But as you say, there's no recommendations here. Um, these substances are absolutely not to be messed with, just like you wouldn't get into an F1 car without uh, considerable prior training. You probably want to have a very solid meditation state training practice, probably a good subtle energy practice, yoga, qigong, and so on, before you work with these medicines. Um, yeah, like I... I've been like a vegetarian for 20, almost 25 years, daily yoga, you know, done qigong, 20, you know, two hours of meditation every day. I'm just sort of giving that as the context. And so, because I have had, you know, I've got other friends who have, they didn't do any of that. And they, um, and they've been playing with, you know, entheogens, with, with, with sacred medicines. And they have had their own breakthroughs. But in observing them over these last four years, they don't refer to it the way we're talking about. It's quite a different context. And so I think that the context and the background that somebody has has a huge impact on the kind of the nature of the experience. And because like, you know, not everybody is looking for the truth, looking to awaken. Um, they might be looking to, to have healing. Maybe they want to have a healing experience and they want to just um, move through some of the, the barriers that they've had. And now they want to be more self-expressed or let go of things. And that's great. I mean, and, and these things will help with that. So it might not be that, complete inner radical revolution of absolutely what it means to be a human <laughs> and so it might just be a recontextualizing their life and their relationship with their parents or children or whatever um, and that's beautiful and and so and not even anybody even needs to do this like we're just for whatever curious reason we, we became connected and we were taken on this journey it is remarkable though that such keys like such acts access points exist in the world i wouldn't have believed that that was really possible and it is and another thing that i wouldn't have believed and we've framed this in the title and it's one of the reasons that you're max anti on our conversation rather than your, your birth name because you're uh, a, a successful figure in the world of finance and, and cryptocurrency and so on and you're open and transparent and also felt that it would be wise to go with with your YouTube uh, alter ego Max Anti, and one of the one of the taboos that we've just touched on a couple is, and I can put it in the context of that trip to Mexico. You said to me prior, "Hey, we're we're seeing these like UFOs. We're seeing these these things in the sky, and they're, they're moving at speeds." And I was like, "Okay, I mean, you know, sure. I'm, I don't believe or disbelieve." And uh, got got down to this place, and sure enough. There are these things flying in the sky and they're moving at speeds that human crater craft do not move at and like going at right angles. And 
Um, it was, and, and I want to hasten to add before the skeptic dismisses the, the ontological validity of the observation, this was prior to me ingesting any medicine. This was, this was observed in, in full sobriety. And uh, so I, I know that UFOs exist. And, and you even had your, you had your roommate, remember, um, he, was, he was waking up in the middle of the night, I think, and going outside and calling out, look at them, they're flying. You were telling me that he was actively being basically awoken to go and look at them and be with them. And it was very peculiar. And, and it had become so uh, normal so quickly that when he woke me up and said, there are more UFOs in the sky, I was like, sure, I just want to get some sleep, you know, go back to sleep. I, I've seen the UFOs, you know, what? <laughs> unless they're landing on the front lawn. Because <laughs> I lived there in the jungle twice for three months at a time, me and my friends, and even during that week, um, it was like, do you want to look at the sunset or do you want to look at the UFOs? And it was just, it became like what you're saying, so peculiar that, you know, this had now become our waking reality that we were watching these orbs of light move around in ways that defied anything we'd ever seen. And, and to speak to the taboo, to, to I'm always wary of the, the skeptic. You know, I'm, I've developed a fluency in scientific language in order to communicate with people from all walks of life and belief systems and so on. And scientism is absolutely a, a belief system. The, there's been a, a hearing in Congress in the US about the massive uh, incontrovertible evidence for the existence of uh, UFOs and indeed extraterrestrials. And it, it, it's really not something that is actually particularly um, wacky. The evidence is there. And the question really is whether people are uh, sufficiently open-minded to, to, to look at the evidence and accept all these high-ranking officials from government and from the Air Force and so on saying, absolutely, we've, we've, we've seen craft, we've seen extraterrestrials and so on. So that's an interesting thing in, of, in and of itself on planet Earth. There's all sorts of talk about disclosure, that, that this is going to be something that is going to be revealed in a more mainstream fashion. Do you have a mm. sense around that, whether it's a good thing, whether it's going to happen, or will it always be a... A, a sort of taboo fringe topic. Well, I guess I, I have a, I have opinions about what we're talking about, but I'll, I'll just give a little bit of a backstory because um, when, when I was a little boy, as a child, I, obviously I was fascinated by spacecraft and the sci-fi movies and UFOs, and my uncle encouraged this, and he used to show me the photos from Mexico of the UFOs, and that was when I, as a seven or eight-year-old little boy, that's when I first began hearing about Mexico. It didn't have a huge impact, but it, it did resonate with me that. That's where the photos were. They were in New Mexico and Mexico. There was something about this part of the world. And, and I guess as I grew older, like I did have a belief through my own research and what you're discussing that it was real. I thought, okay, this is real, but I'd never seen that. And it wasn't until, and I get, I, I, maybe, maybe that played a very minor role in my yearning to get to Mexico. I don't know. That was just peculiar to go there. And then the shamanic medicine journeys and the radical transformations in my consciousness but then, um, from after that, it was, it was after the toad experience, and then I start to, to witness them. And it is something that, you know, especially when you see pretty kind of radical ones, like um, I've had several, I've had many experiences, but several that were really over the top. Um, my mind just kind of melts. I just can't even, it, it's so out of context. It's so essentially alien. It's so non-human, this witnessing, it's like, I can't put it in a box and, and that we're, we were trained to, to can, we, can we put this in a box and label it? 
Right. And I want to be really crystal clear for our listeners and viewers. You're describing meeting uh, non-human beings. Oh, okay. Hang on. So, or, or, or is that another? That's, a, that's another. So, okay. So are, we, now are, we're, are we not going to let that cat out of the bag? Well, <laughs> I'll do. Now, we're, we're, going, we're going to do it too. <laughs> we, we, we can edit that out if you prefer. No, no, it's fine. I mean, like, it's fine. We can, I'm happy to discuss whatever because we're looking at the truth here. So it just depends right. how far we want to go. Because I was actually just talking about the orbs of light just then and the, and the, and the silver spheres that I'd seen. So I was witnessing over um, an, an intensive two year period, 2015 to 2016, and with my, my friends and you and meeting people saying, do you want to come and see them? Because it was localized. That was what this thing, like, I can't guarantee that wherever you are, if you're in the UK or Australia or Russia or whatever, um, people do have sightings there, but I, I can't guarantee that. But I, I'm pretty sure I was saying to people at that time, hey, I can pretty much guarantee this. You come to this jungle and you're going to see them because we're seeing them every week. And, and it was true. And everybody I invited there pretty much saw them. And so, yes, that all those experiences and the, the medicine journeys and um, witnessing those uh, and, and being, you know, as you're saying, sober and seeing them, um, having kind of like messages to come outside at a certain moment and then witnessing these very peculiar things. And then obviously even, as you're saying, further down the track last year, you know, having various meetings with people or whatever like it, it just life life after february 2015 has got increasingly stranger and stranger and so um and in a waking real world sense where nothing was the way i thought it was like nothing about politics nothing about business nothing about spirituality nothing about consciousness nothing about objects like it so many things altered uh, as it seemed like my awareness, literally, like it was like my brain was changed and I had more kind of faculties. That's the, all I can put it down to. I seem to have gained other faculties that were dormant or um, not there. And, and of course, uh, this time frame we're speaking of is the time frame that many a tradition has spoken of as being not, not the end of times, or, or yes, the end of times, but also the beginning of times, a time of great transition, a time of one period ending and another period beginning. And I don't want to get too sidetracked into the 2012 thing, but suffice to say that all the intelligent analysis, uh, which of course isn't the mainstream media's endpoint apocalyptic scenario, but rather simply that this is a, a sort of demarcation point, a midpoint. And what I'm noticing is that each of us are describing how that has been true in our individual consciousnesses and how we've noticed that amongst many others. And it's certainly happening. There's certainly a big shift happening collectively upon the planet. Uh, we can look to more darkness as much as there being more light, perhaps, which we could say is the illumination. But um, maybe we can touch a little bit on one evolutionary and revolutionary function which is cryptocurrency and the blockchain technology because okay. that, that's that's an area that you have great expertise i'm really ignorant of i i i, I guess i just wanted to uh, yes let's do that i just there was one little question you had before that i wanted to still please. answer which was just because i like going through um and we'll, we'll come to cryptocurrency in a moment it was just when you asking my opinion around what was happening with this mm. disclosure and with the UFOs and all of that, because I was describing experiences 
And then and you were describing your experiences. So now we don't, it doesn't matter even if somebody says to us, oh, I don't believe you, no problem. That's okay. Sure. Because like, um, they could tell me a story. I don't believe it, it doesn't really matter. And, and but I, um, I actually do have like a photograph. That was when, that was my first encounter was when I took a photograph and that blew my mind. Cause then I was like, hang on, what's this about? And I showed, it was in March. I had the total experience in February, March. I was in Bacala Lagoon, which is close by and extraordinarily peculiar lagoon oh my goodness um strange events happening all around that they, they fly out of there so that was why i moved that's why shkalak happened that's why these places happened for us because the locals they were telling me that the the lights fly out and they go out to sea and i was like well i want to go and position myself at sea on the coast to watch them and and sure enough on my first week there well, well before you even got there i'm driving down the road with my friends and, and remember that, that road through the jungle and looking up, it's in the night and just seeing these like orbs. I'm like, what is that? And they're saying, oh, that's just the orbs of light flying through the jungle. I'm like, I'm sorry. No, no, no. That, that, I'm sorry. No, that doesn't compute. I don't understand. What do you mean the orbs of light flying through the jungle? And, and it just got stranger after that. That was week one. And, and so coming back to this whole thing about disclosure. And so, um, I mean, obviously people have been fascinated by you know, in, in modern times, UFOs, I, I'd probably say probably maybe since the Second World War, that seems to be like something happened and Hollywood started putting out, you know, sci-fi movies and since the 40s or whatever and the man who fell to earth, all, all this sort of stuff. And people started taking photos, there were cameras and and <clears throat> and sure, I mean, you, you could go through the records. There's lots of all of this stuff, lots of even stuff from the military of people flying and seeing things and recordings. Um, now, I, I, have, I have seen those orbs of light and many of my friends have, including you. And then I've also seen these um, silver spheres, like a sphere about a meter in diameter. And and um, my partner, she said to me, oh, you know, she, I told her about it. And she said, well, why don't you just look up this video on YouTube? And people have taken videos in Los Angeles. Funnily enough, all of this stuff is happening in North America. I don't know if it's happening that much in the rest of the world, but North America, particularly Mexico, and it seems like maybe even LA as well. And it was identical to what I'd seen, just this silver sphere. But it's about a meter or whatever. So they must be very small or whatever's in there. Like, um, but it's, I'm just trying to answer this, this question because I don't necessarily agree with what everybody's saying that this stuff is. You know, this, this, this comments that oh, these are extraterrestrials. I, I'm not sure about that actually. Mm. Uh, uh, because what I've, what I've discovered for myself through all these explorations is that nothing is the way I think it is. Like truly, like it's just, it's not what I think it is. And it's so radically peculiar and mysterious. It's so alien that it, it, it sort of shatters my, my views around what I am. And therefore, if I say, oh, that's, it's, it's like another star system or it's a little group, that's coming from Hollywood. That's coming right. from some, yeah. So if it's, if it's not extraterrestrials, if it's, if it's not um, some humanoid or, or some alternate species from another planet or another universe or another galaxy, what is it? What, what, what possible things could these spheres of light and these, these spheres that you see, what could they be? Well, okay. Um, there actually are many. There's, there's obviously a lot of different theories um, about, about some of this stuff. Some of it is, let's say, um, we'll talk about the metal one. It was a silver sphere and they've been recorded. And I've seen the videos. You can look them up on YouTube as well. Um, maybe that is actually some advanced military tech from the government. I'm just hypothesizing here. I'm saying that um, because for sure the military's got way more advanced computer systems, telecommunication systems than what they allow us to have. Do they have, you know, basically silver spheres, completely perfect, that can move and stop and, and go up and down? And, and that, that sounds absurd. 
um, that, that a device could be that powerful and, and just that. I saw it out of a plane as I was landing in Mexico City and it looked like the most ordinary thing in the world, just flying effortlessly beside the plane. And yet I was just gobsmacked. I was like, no, I'm sorry. Um, what is that? And then I saw another one in the US, but that one had a, had a green light in the middle of it. These are very strange objects. So but I'm, I'm not even saying that I think they're from the military. I'm, we're just talking about what could they be? Okay, so one idea is that maybe those metallic ones could be some advanced tech from the government that they just don't want to let us know about. Maybe. I don't, I don't necessarily even think that that's the case. Um, like, so last year when I was, um, I was speaking at Harvard, actually, on, on cryptocurrencies, and we'll come to that in a moment, um, I was with some billionaires, and maybe they would appreciate it if I didn't, reference to who they are, because I could say, tell you who they are, and everybody would just look them up. And they were telling me their stories of like driving through the Nevada desert and, and looking out at night and seeing the whole plane of the desert in front of them. And then looking up and seeing a massive illuminated object that was bright blue and in the shape of a snowflake hurtling to earth at breakneck speed. Imagine the whole of the desert being lit up in the middle of the night by a neon blue snowflake and then as it hits the ground, it just stops and then just goes off into a ravine. Some billionaires told me that. And these are people who are doing massive talks all around the world, helping lots of people, helping children. You know, these are people with great reputations. Now, because now if I hadn't had my experiences, and perhaps if you hadn't, we would be thinking, mm, maybe they're just a bit, you know, I don't know, whatever. Like crazy. Because, yeah. But because we've had our experiences, we go, wow, okay, that's even kind of um, a bit. Uh, no, I have had one experience that, that touches upon that. Um, but, but these are definitely radical experiences. So the, the, uh, I think what we struggle with here is that maybe this is just too peculiar. We as humans want answers. We like we, we we come from a scientific world where we think, oh, we can get a you know an insect and we can dissect it. And now we understand it. We can get we can observe the botany and the, the flora and the fauna. We've been doing this for hundreds of years. Everything can be deconstructed and explained. Okay, great. Well, how are you going to find one of these and deconstruct that? You, you, you're not because even if I and I can tell you where they are, we just we already discussed it. Maybe that wasn't even a good idea to give these locations because the town folks in these small towns they don't want. I've sent friends there and they don't, people don't talk to them about it. I was lucky. Maybe I got there a bit early and they, they, they shared things with me. But they don't want the descent of the whole UFO fanatical whatever um, news crews all going there. And, and even if they see them, so what? You get your camera and you see this speeding light or, 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 or sphere just hurtling off. Um, I mean, there are videos of, of um, guys in you know, high-speed aircraft, you know, like jet fighters, trying to chase these that they can't so the, the most difficult thing here is you you can't get it you can't like just go and 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 even if 10 of us got together and they came to us and i've spoken to people where this happens you were so freaked out essentially in your uh, in your ability to think as a rational human trying to just like say can i just record everything you're saying please and note it down and can we have a sample this doesn't happen there's no sampling you, you, you not, just not, not yet. <laughs> not, not yet. Exactly. Like so, maybe maybe this will be coming. But but so far, um, this is so peculiar. And I'm I'm trying to answer the question is well, what do I think it is? Well, um, I, I think it's magical. 
I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to explain like so the, the world as odd as it might sound has become magical to me which means that it is not a mechanical system the way I was told it was that, that nature itself the trees and the butterflies and the squirrels and all of this and the bananas and all this stuff that comes from nature has actually become entirely magical and therefore the the sort of the, the pointy tip, the, the, the most magical thing are these things. So I've now been able to witness the magic inside, and it has become literally magical, weird things and odd things witnessing through nature itself, through trees, through plants, where they move. And we can talk about all that as well. But then the, the, the most extreme aspect of that are these objects I'm talking about. So could it be that they are simply arising from nature? What One of my friends said that when he was in Machu Picchu and he got separated from his crew. They were going back down the mountain and he realized that it was too, too dark. Maybe he was taking too many photos and he was to say, stay on the safe side rather than slipping down the mountain. He stayed overnight. And as soon as dusk hit, dozens of these little orbs of light started flying around the whole forest where he was for about 20 minutes and they all disappeared. And then you just need to go back through the literature throughout all the hundreds of years of people seeing the will of the wisps throughout Europe. And this is a phenomenon that's been going on, but, but that's, that's a bit different to a bigger, you know, metallic crafts and things, but none of that has actually been really photographed in a, in a, in a hard evidence way. Um, I've got close enough to seeing those silver spheres and they were small ish and um, very odd clearly. So, I know that hasn't given any answer. It's just that I don't actually, I don't buy, I don't buy anything that says that it's from that. Whatever the government's pointing to, it's too simplistic for me. Hmm. I, I think there's a beauty in, well, there's a beauty in the beauty and the pointing to the function perhaps. And the meaning is to open and expand, to be in the mystery, to be in the beauty, to be in the wondering and the marvel. And I want to also speak to what I feel you and I are, actually embodying quite well, and people might be surprised to hear me say it, which is uh, skepticism. So that this, the skeptic philosophical tradition is to be open-minded. And I'm hearing you be very open-minded. You don't really know what these things are, and there are possible theories, and again, we don't know. And this is the true basis of science. And many people identify as being skeptics, but they're actually not skeptics. They just have a belief system in, in scientism and that only that which can be measured and quantified is real or that only matter is real. And they're closed off to anything that would challenge that belief system. So they're the very antithesis of skeptics. And I want to speak to that because it feels important as we, as we have these sorts of conversations and dialogues into taboo topics that would be considered crazy or insane in, uh, in, in, in mainstream culture. For sure, like I've told some of my friends some of these stories who um, maybe they humor me. Um, many people do know about this, that these have been my experience. Um, one of them, he was, he, he was a scientist, essentially a genius mathem mathematician and electronics engineer. And he was fine with it all. He just said, he basically did come out and say, oh, I think it's, you know, you can kind of believe whatever you want to believe, you know, through your sight, you could just be sort of almost essentially imagining things that you're seeing because you want to. He was kind of being quite polite, but he was pointing there until I told him the event when I was in the middle of the night and, and I had this little hunch just to go up on top of the rooftop in that place in Shkalak where we were. 
And as I lay there with my eyes adjusting to the, to the darkness and looking at the stars, I'd never seen so many stars in all my life. It was so extraordinarily beautiful. This, the whole deck was illuminated as though it was a, the biggest spotlight you could imagine just beamed on the whole deck. And I was so shocked. I didn't even think I just leapt up. And there I was confronted with a, an orb that was four times the size of the moon with red and blue lights spinning around it as it descended into the jungle beside the house like that for about three seconds. So that was when I really had my moment of, I have no idea what's going on anymore. I don't, I can't understand life. Um, and, and my friend, he, he said he was fine, but he said, oh, you're making, you, you just imagined like a hallucination. I said, well, what about when the deck got illuminated before I leapt up? And he didn't know what to say about that. He was like, yeah, that is weird. The deck being illuminated. That's, that's odd. Even he had to give it that, unless he thought I was being a pathological liar. That was his only other way to, um, to, 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 rec to, to reconcile the information. And then he just pushed it aside because he was like, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't fit in. He could, cause he can't go and get it and measure it. Right. And it, it, it feels like there's a unifying principle here with entheogens, with meditation, with UFOs, which is direct experience. And that's the nature of truth. If you've seen it with your own eyes, then of course you are able to believe it. If you've experienced insight of the emptiness of self, then that's real and true. Until that's happened as your direct experience, it, it's impossible to really grasp or understand or, and, and irrelevant whether you believe it or not. So, yeah, let's speak a little bit to like, what would be the, what's the benefit of any of this? Because some people could be saying, okay, you know, I'm willing to give you guys the benefit of the doubt, but you know, my life's fine. I, I don't need any uh, agents and I certainly don't really need any UFOs. And um, what's the benefit in any of this? And, and I can speak to that because like, well, I, I do feel maybe I'm wrong, but it looks to me like a lot of people have, have lost the wonder in the world. They've, um, they've kind of become almost bored. This is how it looks. It looks to me like people are living like a bit of a, a drudgery life and everything's kind of got a bit gray and they, it's become extraordinarily predictable. Even young people, they think, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just you know, going to go to school, go to university, get married, have some kids, get a mortgage, get a good job. Life's going to be like this, maybe die around 80 or 90 if I'm lucky. They've got this whole little thing mapped out for them and society's fed them the whole formula, the whole, all the ingredients. There's, there's no magic in that. So if you throw into the mix of that, uh, um, unimaginable witnessings, things that you cannot explain that create so much awe in you that it shakes you to your bones, where you're, and they're so beautiful and so transcendent. Could there be some benefit in that? I wonder. I, I think so. I think that it could shake you out of the monotony that you're going through in your life and make you go, wow, this world is not predictable. This world is magical. And I am part of the world. Oh, I am the world. I'm in it. I'm witnessing things that the rest of everybody else can't explain. So maybe, maybe everything else they're saying isn't really quite so accurate either. So that could be the benefit. However, I'd say probably a lot of people, they don't even want that because they don't want to be so shaken. They like the predictability of what they know. And here, if they were to encounter the things that we're talking about, do they know more? No, not really. They potentially know less. <laughs> and so, but they, they, they have experienced more, but now they kind of know less, which is an interesting paradox. Yeah, for sure.
as as you were speaking to that possibility that someone could be listening to the descriptions of UFOs and magical beings and orbs and vibrational noises coming from our nervous system, reforming it. And if, if they're asking, you know, how is that valuable then? Well, I, they're probably not someone that I'm going to want to have a cup of tea with because the, 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 the essential value is so, so clear for me, but I think it's a, it's a valid question. But, but just on that, I mean, but, but we are in a world of people who've been trained. Maybe, I mean, that's why I think you are doing this. You're doing these talks and you're making this uh, love and truth party because you do want to speak to people. You want to awaken them, but what are we awakening them to? It's like the, there's the monotony of what life has been, has been telling them that this is the truth and this is the, this is the extent to which you can experience life that it's like putting in a little box like we've got it figured out for you there you go um we're saying actually well no actually there is a lot more going on and if you're willing to just you know what well, you and i were willing to go like literally way out there to, to jungles and people don't need to go that extreme but you could start to if you had any sort of faith in what we're talking about if you could think well these guys they don't they, you know they're talking crazy stuff but they don't sound crazy um, then, then maybe the world, maybe you could start to allow just the magic into your life. You could start to go, wow, because so we want to, well, I certainly do. I want to, that's the reason I'm writing my books and putting out those Max Anti videos is to inspire people to realize that there is, um, that there is more to, to what they've been told is the extent of life. And, and I think that people, because I used to be asleep, I used to be in that box. And I know what that was like. And let me tell you, it was no fun compared to this magical reality that's going on now. Right. I, lo I love that. And yeah, absolutely. Part of the reason I'm enjoying this conversation and was so keen to have you on is feeling that strong alignment with your mission and function and what Love and Truth Party is about. And very specifically, we identify three uh, illusions or, or myths or falsehoods, which I would say are, are separation. The idea that we're, we're separate, that, that we, we perceive the physicality and imagine separation from each other. The reality is we're not. We're connected in the energy, electromagnetic field. We're connected in the zero point field. We imagine separation from our source, from our creator, whether we call that consciousness or God or Gaia or the universe doesn't really matter. We're not. We are perceiving two stories of materialism, ontological materialism, the idea that matter is primarily real and that consciousness is just some bizarre accident of the brain and that ethical materialism this this absurd theory that is at root of much of our destruction of this gorgeous biosphere that if we get more stuff we'll become happy that in material possessions happiness lies and thirdly lack or unworthiness the idea that i'm not enough or the idea that there isn't enough in the world so these are the three falsehoods or myths that we identify uh, separation ontological and ethical materialism and lack or unworthiness and we offer three truths if we would uh, articulate them one which is oneness unity the other would be being coming into contact with our being the joy of just being and finally you are loved we are all loved we are all enough and whole and complete as we are and where this is exciting for me like what's the value well certainly as an individual who has realized to some extent that i'm i'm within oneness and i'm one with all life that i'm uh, that there's a joy in being and that i'm enough as i am that i am loved 
why that's just an extraordinarily enhanced life and for that to become a common experience amongst human beings that is a, a far more intelligent and evolved um, functional human system and i think a lot of what we're talking about is supportive of these realizations and awakenings it, yeah for sure i guess there could be people potentially listening though that might say things like well that's all well and good for you guys look at you two you know you're um, your men you know you're relatively affluent enough to do all this traveling or you've got less responsibilities or there could be a whole list of things so maybe we could speak about that for a moment because um, there is truth definitely in, in that assumption um, however you know when you heard my story before where um, I did come from an affluent society Australia I you know I was I, I'm basically coming from a very privileged background uh, however I did have all those responsibilities you know being a parent um, having businesses and staff and and taxes and, and so on and debts you know I, I've, I know what that's like I know how shackled somebody can be in in, in the in, in the um, social order of, of having to keep on producing and, and um, carrying everything so in in the in this in, with all of that going on how can you have this kind of um, awareness that you were just speaking to uh, and I think that's a that's a big thing and, and what, what gets me interested though is why is that going on because I was there and what I see is it looks to me like there are billions of people there not like the majority of humanity is kind of in some kind of servitude they're busy they're kind of like they're having to they've got obligations and they're not free here's how you know if you're free if you can just go well this sounds pretty cool i want to go to mexico and that jungle sounds pretty great let's just go there for um, a couple of months and just hang out and um have papaya and, and coconuts and enjoy ourselves by the beach who can do that not many people can do that literally because in these definitions of freedom which is what i feel is so compelling is you know that to be able to go wherever you want for as long as you want, with whomever you want, and, and, and just explore and give yourself the freedom of being like a child. Now, um, I, I don't mean to upset anybody by saying this because that was my dream and my goal. And then that's been fulfilled because I, I, you know, I really kept at it. I was like, no, this is possible. It is possible to do this. And I recognize that for a lot of people in the world, it's not even possible. You know, if they're in some labor camp in China or Pakistan or something, this is like just fantasy. And so that the way the world is run like that is systematic. There's a system going on here that, that perpetuates people's servitude, that perpetuates a, a, a mechanism that has them not have this freedom. And so, how, but because I enjoy it, and it took me a long time to get there, and then because you enjoy it, we know how good that is. And therefore we go, well, hang on. If I, I used to be stuck, I know that, that wasn't much fun. It was terrible actually. And I know what it's like to be free and doing all these adventures. Wouldn't I want that for other people? I mean, I appreciate my iPhone, but the guy in the sweatshop or my shoes or whatever, surely there's got to be a better way. And, and when we look back in history, we see this has been going on for, you know, very intensely for hundreds of years. I mean, obviously it's been going on for a long time, but the last couple of hundred years have been an intensified process of production and basically utilizing people like real but where people utilizing our effort for production so that others may enjoy um, the benefits of of gadgets and clothes and and who knows what and so i'm just speaking to well people would say oh that's just the way the world is you know it has to be like that well we're talking about a magical world now we're talking about things that nobody would really believe 
And so if we're able to talk about things that nobody can really believe, then we can talk about a world where nobody's in servitude. And that doesn't work for the current establishment. And so I think that there's something going on here that actually is getting something out of that scenario. And, and that's why I'm really passionate about the cryptocurrencies, because that is a way for a new kind of economic model. And economics is, is at the heart of people's freedom. And so when you understand that economics is really just about power and power over, then you can start to deconstruct and look at, well, where do I sit in all of this? And why do I have to carry so much of a load and have debts and so forth? And, and, and we can probably unpack all that. What I'd love to do, I really appreciate you bringing, I like that phrase as well, at the heart of freedom. Uh, there's something very evocative in that for me. With how much time we've spent in dialogue already, I want to be respectful of your time and our viewers as well. I wonder if we might look maybe to have a part two where we look specifically to share. Uh, I'd love to hear more from your wisdom and expertise around the revolutionary and evolutionary liberating potential of cryptocurrency. Great. Let's do that. So then we can talk more about the economic and social order and how crypto is playing that. That would that sounds like another segment. That sounds good. I, I think so. We've, we've ticked off identity and uh, psychedelics and, and began, began the conversation around revolution. And it's been a real... And UFOs. And, and UFOs. Thank you. How could, how could I forget? It's, it's been a joy. You're one of the most interesting people that I know. Um, Max Ante, it's been great having you on the show. And um, thank you for, for joining us. I look forward to, to part two. We'll, we'll schedule that at some point in the coming weeks. That'd be great. It's been a real pleasure being here, Will. And um, I really support what you're doing with the Love and Truth Party. This is, uh, you know, these are great conversations to have. But I think we just want to have people realize that uh, life can be whatever they want it to be. Literally, whatever they imagined as a child, there they were fantasizing, could life be this much fun? Could it be this magical? I'm telling you, yes, it can, but it's going to take significant effort and a plan. And if you start working that plan, you can indeed create a magical life for yourself. Um, but it, it may take, you know, miracles. And I would just say, just be open to the, to the miraculous and start telling yourself, hey, this actually is possible, even when it looks like it's not, even when everything says to you, no, can't have that. Start telling yourself, okay, maybe not today, but I am going to get there. I'm going to have that miraculous life that I dream of. And people can go to Max Anti, capital M, capital A on YouTube for, for guidance. You've recorded a lot of very beautiful content, rich videos on that channel. So I recommend that for people and they can catch that in the program notes as well. Thank you, Max Anti. I look forward to speaking with you soon. See you, Will. Thank you to our viewers and watchers for listening and watching. Uh, please visit loveandtruthparty.org to, to join our community, download or order love letters, register for our newsletter, connect on social media, and even consider financial support at loveandtruthparty.org. Org. Of course, if you're listening on iTunes, a review doesn't hurt. Uh, subscribe on YouTube, all that good stuff. Thank you to all our existing supporters and contributors. Together we are creating kind, conscious, and courageous human community. 